very early on, I realized uh, the only way I can transform my life uh, as well as my family's life is education. That's the only way to um, get to the next level, right? I mean, I've done all kind of odd jobs when I was going to school, right? I mean, everything. And and uh, it, was a, it was a nightmare in the beginning. In Nepali mindset, you have to be doctor, you have to be engineer, this for successful. No, the answer is you can be anybody and and be good at what you do and can be successful. Our guest today is uh, Purna Karelzi. Mal, I say the, the reason I actually wanted Purnazi to be on our podcast is, you know, as people that know me and know about TGND know already, uh, we're really, really passionate about the brand of Nepali tech talent. And actually, tech matre, you know, all kinds of talent, that tech talent is a big thing for us. And uh, for me, I think uh, the the work that uh, Purnaji is doing in terms of, you know, bringing awareness to uh, STEM education, engineering talent, and uh, also bring, bringing visibility to uh, to the opportunities available for Nepal is something that you know we're aligned on. Um, actually, in terms of the timing, the, the timing works great because Purnaji is hosting an uh, an event in Nepal on Feb twenty sixth, ma, which is going to be all about uh, talking about these kind of things, right? Nepal ma tech talent. How do we uh, bring in uh, resources? How do we really leverage the opportunities? And for me, I think. Um, the reason uh, the timing and everything for the podcast works is because uh, I wanted other people, other stakeholders to really learn about what's available in Nepal and how can we make things much better, Manera. Um, and uh, for our subscribers, uh, we have a sub- uh, giveaway at the end of the uh, season. We're really excited about it. And we want to thank Nepal Tea Collective uh, for that giveaway. Uh, you'll hear more on our socials from that. Tara, please engage with our content. And now let's begin. How did your early, you know, experiences in Nepal, how did that shape into you, into the person you are um, and, you know, the career professional you are? Yeah, so uh, my my journey started, uh, you know, in a remote part of Nepal, right, uh, in Surkit, uh, you know, Growing up, you know, late seventies, early, you know, you know, eighties, you know, not a whole lot of technology. I mean, think about technology. We didn't even have a motor vehicle coming to our place growing up, right? So um, very early on, I realized uh, the only way I can transform my life uh, as well as my family's life is education. That's the only way to um, get to the next level, right? I've seen um, some. Uh, working professionals like engineers in our you know in our town and 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 I'm like how what what would it take for me to take this lifestyle that we have right. so not a little bit better right then I realized the only way I can do that is education the power of education right so so when I was 14 um, you know I, I kind of realized that and then I started putting a lot of focus on education um obviously I went to public school uh, locally uh, but I, I was always very curious uh, about what would it take for me to really become successful in life. Uh, and I used to go talk to all these, you know, senior people like engineers or or or, or to any technical people. Like, what 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 would I what could I do today? And they're like, 
go take these, you know, these classes like optional math and get, you know, better at science and English and, and math and all these things. So I started really focusing early on on what what is that I need to start really focusing on, right? So, um, you know, with, with that focus and and my curiosity about what would it take to get to the next level and, and really always looking for a mentor or someone that can answer my question all the time, uh, that really helped me uh, navigate the, the journey, right? So um, early on, I, I, I learned that, hey, for me to get into engineering school, I have to go to science. You know, back then, we didn't have that many science colleges in Nepal. Uh, you know, it was like, a, you know, Amri Science College was number one, and getting into Amri Science College was uh, was a dream, right? Uh, and and um, uh, a small kid who grew up in a village with very little English foundation tried to get into, um, you know, Amri um, Science College was 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 really, really hard. But I... I I didn't give up because I knew that was the only path for me to get to what I wanted to get to. So uh, I was I was able to get in there, you know, after three months of struggle by reaching out to different politicians, different, you know, student politicians. And, and I was able to get into OSCO, it was called OSCO, uh, you know, and then um, I, I did my, um, you know, you know, ISC, it's called ISC, right, in science over there. Again, you know, that's when I realized that I really need to work hard to transform my life right I, I i met a lot of very talented kids they they went you know they were very successful uh from from their you know a school where they went to like you know san javier's and Burani-Ganta and all these good schools they you know those are the kids that i was competing against and, and i'm like what is the difference between me and them and oh they have very strong foundation they came from a very strong school so i realized like i have a big gap to feel right so what should i do and some of the some of the seniors were telling me well, the only way you are going to bridge that gap is putting a lot of hard work, like, right. like 12 hours days. And I'm like, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I started putting 12 to 16 hours days for two years in a row. And I really bridged that gap and, uh, and uh, you know, and went to uh, electrical engineering and poultry campus. Um, you know, that's that's pretty much how I started. And and very early on, I realized, you know, engineering is the only way to get out of where I was and really transform my life. And I really kind of stuck to that idea along the way, you know. No, I love that. And I love that how, you know, you looked for mentors even before mentorship was a concept, right? Especially in Nepal context. So I love that. And too, how you were always... You know, looking at uh, comparing yourselves to others that are in a very productive, um, progressive way. I think that's something that, you know, we can all learn from. Um, so, you know, that's fascinating. How was your transition from Nepal to the U.S.? Uh, and can you tell us about some milestones and challenges you faced, Titibela? Yeah, so one thing I forgot to mention to you, um, you know, like I said, I early on, um, you know, Along with my my desire to pursue my higher education, especially in the engineering industry, uh, another thing that hit me really hard early on was, in addition to education, what what else should I be doing with my life to transform my my life from where I was? Right, uh, not just my life, you know, my life, my family's life, and, and eventually my my community's life. Right, that was kind of always my idea. So. Then I realized uh, entrepreneurship is, it was another thing that I really need to start looking into. My father was a small business owner, so I start. I, I I have seen him doing his small stuff. I knew how to make money. I knew how to, what the cash flow was. I mean, early on, I, I kind of learned that a little bit. But it was a very small scale business. 
but at least I learned what the what the profit making process was, right? Um, and and what the scale may look like, right? Uh, even though he was not able to scale, but I was I was able to kind of understand that part early on. So so then I started thinking about if I can really integrate technical education and then convert that into entrepreneurship somehow, uh, that may be a better way to really take this to next level, right? Uh, then I started, like I said, I started meeting with uh, you know a lot of uh, you know uh, construction industry people that that may have come through you know technical education, running you know construction you know companies and stuff like that. I really tried to learn how what, what were their journeys and and what are the things that they actually accomplished in education, how that helped their you know pro, you know professional life and entrepreneurship life. So I was always very curious and excited about those type of stuff, right? Then, then, then when when I was trying to look for engineering uh, in a career or engineering education, uh, you know, um, I thought electrical engineering would 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 really uh, match Nepal's need because early on I realized Nepal has a huge hydropower potential, right? And then electricity, hydropower. I'm like, you know what? These are related stuff. Maybe maybe we can do something about uh, about it by pursuing this education that helped me uh, do something in that industry, right? So I got really excited about electrical engineering. The, throughout my engineering uh, studies, four years, I was always figuring things out about okay, how what can I take from this education and convert it into um, some sort of like business, right? Then my fourth year of my um, education, um, I, I was able to do a project called microhydro design in Nepal. And back then, microhydro is like tiny three kW to hundred kW type projects all over the country. Was kind of hot cake back then, right? So I'm, I was, I was, I was lucky to do that project, part of my final year project. And then after graduating bachelor's degree, you know, I was 23, 24, I went to work for a small company. Within a month, I realized I just didn't like that. I started my own company, uh, doing the microhydro design. Uh, and grew, we grew that company to almost 25 engineers in 12 months. Um, and, and we did 35 plus projects all over the country. I mean, we we're having a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, but I learned a lot about you know sales and you know execution and uh, you know cash flow and all that good stuff, right? So, so after that, um, you know, uh, you know, back then it was because I, I was work was in very remote part of Nepal, right? The mouse insurgency uh, was was causing us a lot of you know trouble doing our projects, and and I was young, you know, so I had a desire to kind of see the world and pursue my uh, masters, right? So. Uh, then I, I decided to come to U.S. to pursue my master's. Uh, again, you know, coming to U.S. you know in early 2000, um, power, you know, trying to get into power engineering degree was was very uh, new for for our you know uh, you know group of friends. Right, everybody wanted to go to computer science and tech and coding and all that. Right, so the like. Yeah, that might be easier way to get a job after graduation, but I wanted to stick to my passion, which is power and electrical, right? So we took a risk of uh, really getting into power, uh, uh, even though we had a risk of not even getting a job, right? So we uh, we, we we stuck to our passion, and and uh, I did, and then um, we completed our master's with power engineering. And we got lucky. We found job right away. Like within a few weeks, uh, I had a job at a global uh, engineering and construction company in power industry, like exactly what I wanted to. So the challenge was, you know, back then, the internet was not that, you know, available. People were not using a lot of resources and that data were not available, right? So 
we we had to rely on friends and families and and uh, you know media was not that strong so adjusting to u.s culture was uh was was i mean i will never forget that right i mean we just didn't know how to operate how people think within, right so i mean it's a big learning process yeah cultural uh pro- the cultural understanding the culture was a big deal i mean it took several years to really understand how how system works in us and how actually people think and people actually behave right okay and that that was a biggest transformation from coming from nepal to here and you know in nepal and i was running a business you know you're you know you're you're a big deal right you come exactly. here you're everybody's boss and here you have to you know you know we you know we start from scratch right yes i mean like i mean i've done all kind of odd jobs when i was going to school right i mean everything and and uh, it was a it was a nightmare in the beginning of course of course not easy right the life skills right that's that is helping us us today you know so exactly no that I do love that uh, you know you followed your passion. I think, uh, especially when you're young, I think it's so easy to be like, "Oh my God, which job pays the most? I'll study that." Right, and especially you know coming from Nepal, I think we all have that, right? That even uh, you know you were able to look at the opportunity cost and follow your passion. So you know, I think our sort of um, hope for the younger generation is also that. Okay? That you don't always have to be that sheep in that herd. You can take your, you know, do something different, but still make a life out of it. Absolutely. And that's the good thing about U.S., right? Um, there's an opportunity for any kind of ideas, right? You know, again, that's that's one thing that, you know, you just said, you know, in, in Nepali mindset, you have to be doctor, you have to be engineer, this for successful. No, the answer is you can be anybody and and be good at what you do and can be successful. You know, saying that's right, and that's what I learned early on, and and which was very, you know, like I said, when we came here, I think I found one Nepali guy in the entire U.S. doing power engineering job. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. And then we've come such a long way from that. I think not just in terms of uh, you know just the sheer number of Nepalis in the U.S. There are also a lot of people doing a lot of exciting things. So. Uh, you know, I think for our diaspora, it's such a different uh, time, Paila Banda, right? Absolutely, you know. Um, Purnitia, a follow-up question, just in terms of the differences, right? You talked a little bit about the cultural understanding of the U.S. or anywhere else outside the U.S., uh, outside Nepal. This might say, I think one sort of thing that always stands out is work ethic, right? In terms of um, the work culture, let's let's say the U.S. versus Nepal, might say, what were some things that uh, you found uh, different at point? Only now, years and years later, what do you like? Do you still see a little bit of a difference, or are we sort of all on the same page? Yeah, that, that's. The, I think that's the biggest uh, change um, when when some you know, especially when we grew up in Nepal. Uh, you know, things have different things have been different now than what we used to see back then like when i was growing up you know uh the the work culture didn't exist at all right i mean i hate to say this but everybody did the government job there's no time you know constraint right you you get to do what what i mean like i said there's no schedule there's no commitment there's no accountability there's no accountability and and people i remember like um 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 
a person I knew when he was in the U.S., he wanted to meet me in Nepal. He gave me a time that he wanted to meet. And I showed up like one year, one hour late. And he was so upset. And I was like, why is this guy upset? Yeah. That's how we grew up, right? Exactly. So, Nepali time. Nepali time, right? And, and again, you know, you say things and you don't follow through, right? And uh, very small, basic human skills. You don't need the coder or rocket science to do okay. all those things. I always say for you to be successful... 90% of what you need is a basic human skills, right? Okay. Is if you say something and you're going to do it, just do it. Okay. If time management, right? Trustworthy, integrity. I mean, you don't need to go to school to learn all of these things, mm-hmm. right? But, but for you to be successful, those things make you successful 90%, right? 10% of your skill. That's how I always tell people. No, no. I think that's that's so true. And I think uh, when we were growing up, all these uh, bad habits were all normalized, okay? Because everybody was sort of laid back. It didn't matter. It was just accepted. Exactly. It was accepted. And, and, let's, and in worst cases, it was actually celebrated. Like, mm-hmm. oh, so, so is so smart and he make things, he, he or she makes things up. And, and, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow. And mm-hmm. over here, you don't survive with that. In, if, exactly. if it's in trouble, if you have that kind of habit, like lying, making things up and bragging and exaggerating right so small stuff like that i think that was the that was the biggest change i think the new generation in nepal nowadays are are different right i think they're you know because of social media maybe the more influence from the the western world right i can see the newer newer generation is is actually heading the right direction from the world perspective right. uh, growing up i mean that's that was not the thing for us there are no Nepal. positive things definitely are happening. I think the younger generation especially are, I think, on par in terms of how they think. Um, yeah. I think the there is sort of uh, this still wide difference in China in terms of work uh, culture and everything. Um, there are, uh, next question, Matsik Purnaji, like your transition into entrepreneurship. Um, what are some, like, can you tell us about one impactful or, you know, challenging sort of project that you've worked on so again let me make sure i understand the question so um can you repeat the question again so is, is it with entrepreneurship or is it a project that i've done as an entrepreneur or as an entrepreneur one one is like you said right nepal you know you you joined a company weren't happy and you decided to do something on your own right i think that was your first leap into entrepreneurship and then what's the U.S. Japanese, like, you know, you, after graduation, you joined a company that uh, at what at one point, uh, once you came to the U.S., uh, did you uh, become an entrepreneur again? Um, and then uh, any any exciting project from that point? So, um, so um, you know, the, the entrepreneurship journey that I had in Nepal, um, I always look back. And, and try to find things that I enjoy doing, right? Um, I always like, even if I worked for other companies, uh, money was important. But at some point, I realized money was not that much important. Uh, what, what What is most important is, do you enjoy what you do every day, every minute, every second of your life, right? Um, in search of that happiness, um, I, I, I was always trying to figure out, what is that makes me happy, right? I, I realized... I started as a design engineer in the U.S., designing high-voltage power systems. Um, 
I was okay engineer. I wouldn't call myself a great engineer. Like to be a great engineer, you need a little bit different mindset. Uh, and I, I don't think I have that. That I, I learned about myself is like I'm more about project management, sales, client interactions, and a really like visionary type person, right? Then I, I got into project management and operation management and sales uh, at a big company, and I've done really well. Like I, I took a very small team of four or five people, and and on my own and and with the leadership the collaboration we were able to grow that team to 50 plus people in like 12 months right so then I'm like oh I can do this better so then I enjoy that right uh, and then and then along the way that that entrepreneurship bug that uh was in me in Nepal uh, right. Had, right and 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 then I realized the reason I was able to do a better job on sales and project management and client, uh, you know, uh, relationship is because of my entrepreneurship mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, then I worked for big companies, three, four major global companies, you know, at a at a high level, like director and 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 and, and you know, above level, right? So, then right. I I kind of learned when you get into the certain level of big companies, um, I learned that. Uh, somewhere in this big corporate world, the soul of what matters is lost, right? Uh, is like, to me, it's a very simple world, right? It's like people do the work, client yeah. the bill, and that's the business, right? As simple as that. Mm-hmm. Companies become so big, they they lose the the the, the fact that matters, right? Which is, those two things, people and client, right? Exactly. The human touch is lost completely. Corporate politics, the lot of red tapes, and then the focus is about you know investor relationship, and and now you, the founder who started that company had the right mindset, yeah. and along the line that got lost, and to a point where it became like quarterly type, only you know, like, it's a mess, right? So uh, I was working for a big company, you know, it was. He lost a lot of contracts and got in trouble. It was bought by the company, and you know the whole department was dissolved. I mean, that was like a the everyday thing, right? And I'm like, I think there's a better way to do this than what they're. So that's that's when my entrepreneurship bug and the corporate frustration kind of piled up together. <laughs> myself, like, if I don't do it today, it, this will never happen. So, but you channel this into all your frustration into something, you know positive and productive so and here i'm sitting right i can see there's so much opportunities mm. out there and these big corporations are so busy fighting their internal battle right. we don't even have time to solve the problem right I'm like, we can solve this problem with that right that uh i i kind of decided to go on my own um and um and that's how i started the entrepreneurship and really staying true to my why, why did I start, right? Why was like only those two things, right? Uh, you know, money was not a why. Why was trying to solve this problem, right? And and that's how we started. And that's how it, that's, that became our company culture today, right? If you look at our values, it's employee first, client centricity, and leaders are servant leaders to serve our employees. And then we give it back to the communities. You know, that's how, that's our culture. And uh, and and again, staying really true to what we believe in is how we operate, right? Well, uh, I kind of get into, I uh, got into entrepreneurship journey. So. No, I, I love that, Purnaji. Um, a quick follow up on this, right? Um, as you're uh, building and scaling a company, 
10 people versus 50 versus 40, 400 is very different in terms of culture, especially maintaining that culture. Have you seen that? And how do you how do you still try to you know instill that culture you just talked about? Yeah, actually, the, the funny thing was, even though I believed in those things, mm. I'm, I didn't go to like MBA or any other business school. I, I have an electrical engineering degree, right? That's all I have. Working for like big companies, I've always taken the the back office support, like HR, IT, all these other things for granted, right? You push the button, you're going to get done, right? When you start your business, I mean, that's that's where you focus mostly is to really practice is your back backbone. That's a backbone, right? Okay. So, you know, we went from like zero to 15 within first 12 months and then 45, 50 in the next 18 or 24 months. You know, up to 30 people, you know, I was able to manage successfully, right? Okay. I mean, individual interactions and all of that, like very successful companies. Then when we had when we had like fifty employees, mm-hmm. and we were struggling, uh, right? Then then um, a, a friend of mine, you know, he he's an executive at our at our, on my client side, very very good guy, very transparent guy. So we started having a lot of turnover, right? Uh, a lot of you know a lot of you know uh, disgruntled employees turnover. And I'm like, what's going on? I mean, I have no idea, right? I have like a couple of guys running the back office just to get by, right? Exactly. And then he and I were having coffee one morning. He goes, Purna, I think you have some systemic issue. Mm. Like, what do you mean by systemic issue? Well, your your turnover is kind of high for a small company like you. I mean, you got to think. Like that hit me really hard. And I I was already like thinking hard about what to do about things. But when what right. tells me that there's a systemic issue, then I'm like, you know what? This is a time that I need to really think hard about what we're doing and how to scale, right? So, so then, uh, then, then I started meeting some mentors and some, uh, you know, some larger company CEOs. Uh, and 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 the the suggestion was, I uh, got to invest in back office. Got got to build that that culture and what what really glues people together, right? It's not like you know, you know, up to thirty forty people because of you, people want to join you. But beyond that, you don't even get to know your people, right? So how do you glue people together? Is the culture so? We invested in really designing our culture in um, you know in 2019, 2020, and and um, that we, it took almost a year to really design our culture. Um, and so it was around what, why, why did I even start a company? That's how we started, right? And um, um, and and that was that was the transformation for KNA to go from like 50 to uh, now is like close to 500 employee firm, right? Uh, so. So it's it's just uh that 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 culture transformation and then also the 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 structure of our leadership right because along the way um you know being entrepreneurial one of the one of the enemies of entrepreneurship is a micromanagement because you started this is your baby right you want everything you're doing by yourself how to let go how to trust others right create the systems uh, and system drives the the company as opposed to you driving everything yourself right and those, that's another learning curve for me a lot right. Um, and, um, and then now I think and we had to make a lot of changes along the way too. Not everybody fits into your culture, right? I mean, there are executives we had to hire 
uh, but but very immediately we realize they don't fit into our culture, even though they're very beneficial from the business perspective. Yeah, they look good like on paper, but not don't fit. Right? They can bring a lot of revenue. They can bring a lot of clients. But the problem is, if the culture is not with their aligned, that can right. company. So we have to rid of a few of our executives because of those reasons. You mm-hmm. know. So anyway, uh, it's been a very big learning curve. I think we're um, we're excited where we stand today. You know, we're ready to take another big uh, growth again uh, based on what we are able to build. You know, so no, amazing, and and we're excited to see see that growth and the next step for you. Um, there are, uh, maybe like talk a little bit about some initiatives you're, that you're trying to do in Nepal. Um, share us about that. Yeah, so so as you know, we have uh, you know uh, about 150 or 40 employees in Nepal. Uh, you know, uh, by this uh, January, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll fill up our office. Uh, you know, and uh, you know a few things that you know one of them, in addition to really growing our business in Nepal. Uh, you know, this is this is a, a you know. I was telling someone you know yesterday um, that uh, because of our deep, because of my deep love to our motherland, right? We want to really continue to um, provide back to the community that I, I came from, right? Right. Uh, right. Uh, in addition to creating uh, you know 150 plus high paying jobs, um, we also want to uh, promote uh, like engineering education in Nepal, right? One of the challenges that uh, we have started seeing recently is uh, lack of uh, qualified, uh, you know, skilled resources in Nepal, right? Right. Um, uh, you know, even the worst part is I've, I've been hearing that, you know, some of the engineering colleges are not getting enough um, applicants to go to, you know, bachelor's uh, degree in Nepal. So that really concerns me personally because you know we are planning on you know doubling and tripling of, uh, of our size of our office well in the next you know three to five years and my worry is is uh, you know or the pipeline for for that right well talent pool right and and if if people stop going to engineering school engineering school how would that look like three years from today are we even going to get weekends if we have like fifty positions open right exactly. so look. Um, what I'm trying to do recently is to really help promote engineering education in Nepal and really try to tell um, young people that uh, you don't have to rush to come to overseas right after your uh, you know you can you can get your engineering school while you know eating your dal bath with your you know mother and father and enjoying the culture that even work in Nepal for a few years get get real you know experience and experience exactly. We're to be very successful. Mm-hmm. I have to come here right after a plus two. That's just you know, and a lot of times those people even have a hard time completing their their bachelor's degree, right? Exactly. Well, working and you know paying fees and all that, right? So there's a lot of opportunities in Nepal. Like you know, there are co- a lot of companies like us in Nepal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was talking to some of the you know tech companies. Uh, they have you you know offices in the U.S. and 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 big office in Nepal, and they were saying like. They have a hard time finding, you know, computer engineers and computer science people. Uh, the turnover is very high. They just work there for a year or two, and they just want to go a- abroad, right? Exactly. So exactly, and then then there's also this uh, poaching from, you know, just this- the market is already small, and then poaching from that individual just it's not right. Why? How do we create a lot of resources so that everybody has enough staff? There's no poaching going on, right? Exactly. How do we take that to next level where we have the best STEM education and engineering education in South Asian countries where 
big, you know, uh, tech want to open an office in Nepal, right? Of course, of course. that that's the whole Purnaji. And I think that's uh, that's uh, the reason Hazrama um, we we connected as well, right? I think um, at TGNDT, that's what we want to also promote and highlight, right? That there are entrepreneurs like yourself that are really trying to create these opportunities in Nepal, right? But uh, I think what's also been happening is uh, a lot of people, young people, don't even know yes, that there is a lot of uh, work going or going behind the scenes to make that happen. That there are opportunities where they can could get get good salaries, live with their family, and enjoy that for a few years, and they don't have to be so desperate to jump out out of out of Nepal immediately, Manera, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's just like you know, it's a. I know there's a lot of negative news going on. Negative media gets a lot of attention. So how do we really turn that into positive and and really retain good talent in Nepal? I mean, and and really show them the math that, uh, you know, making the you know you know seventy or thousand or or eighty thousand or one lakh a month right after school in Nepal um, is not really bad. I mean, you can save a lot of money, you can enjoy life, and really pursue your masters even in Nepal, right? So. There's a lot of good opportunities in Nepal, so I think this is this is where I want to invest some some of my time. Plus, we also give it back to the communities in Nepal. You know, again, a charity will not uh, develop the country, but at least makes us feel better that we're really helping needy people. Okay. Uh, you know, like we're supporting some some NGOs in in the mountain regions, and I also give it back to the the, the village that I grew up in the medical and education and whatever I can help. So. We also have cost and KNA uh, cares activities going on in Nepal. So, um... lots of exciting things. Lots of, and I am grateful that you are contributing in different ways, uh, whether through charity, whether through really, uh, you know, emphasizing the STEM education in Nepal. Uh, and I think that's where we'll, uh, you know, even in the future, we'll align some more. Um, there a quick question, uh, Punaji. Oh, you suppose with the, you know your experience of uh, you know studying in Nepal, working in Nepal, and now in the U.S. and you know building this huge company and everything, Matze, what is uh, your sort of view earlier on the I guess importance of Nepali diaspora in general? Any organizations like TGNDK, what uh, role uh, can we play uh, in terms of uh, you know uh, Nepal could to contribute to Hamra community as well as to Nepal? Yeah, I think I think there's there's a huge opportunity for um, you know Nepali diaspora across the world um, to 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 help our Nepali economy, right? So if you you know that that's the biggest help we can contribute, right? Charity is good; it feels good, but I don't think charity will help develop the country, right? Not sustainable, then. Yeah. It, it helps the the needy people to to solve some immediate problems, but the long term. We must figure out ways to um, help our our economy, right? Um, I was I was reading an article I think recently about um, this international uh, like tech world company like us are able to bring almost six hundred million dollar worth of revenue in the last fiscal year, right? That's a huge deal, right? For uh, and, and that is without any focused effort from government or 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 people they're they're supposed to be doing right. That just happened like. It's that. already happening. It's all, it's happening organi- organically, right? Yeah, right? If you go to like India, I mean, it's a huge chunk of their GDP comes from type of war, right? I mean, I was, I was you know I was in Delhi and some Mumbai, and they're like their companies. They have fifty thousand, thirty thousand employees doing global work, right? So 
we may not be able to get there today, but um, I think in in late nineties, early two thousand, um, it was NRIs who believed in India, right? Yeah. And, and 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 they are they are they are the you know top of the, the tech world now globally, right? Uh, they can influence a lot those decisions, um, but right now I think Nepali diaspora is the one who can take the risk and bet Nepal uh, instead of like someone who has no idea of Nepal, right? Like someone who has no idea of Nepal will never go to Nepal unless we prove ourselves that this is a place we can do business. Exactly. We have to prove that it's investable in so many ways. And then I think others will follow, right? Right. So first they want to see that, oh, K&A has 500 employees and doing great work. And then now now another company want to do the business in Nepal, right? Exactly. Some big tech companies, and they may have thousand, two thousand employees, and really producing high quality work, and and they have proved that that Nepal has the right talent and right infrastructure to support operation. Then Microsoft may look at it, right? Mm-hmm. Apple may look at it, or Google may look at it. But I think it has to start. It must start with diaspora, right? The last 20, 30 years of our our migration, even though it was bad for country, but I think this may turn into a blessing for our country where. Most of our people have reached to a certain potential already, whether it's entrepreneurship or corporate ladder or whatever it is. They all can really, if they can put an effort, they can make differences. Like someone, uh, you know, maybe at a director or VP level at Microsoft, right, can throw an idea to their executive meeting like, hey, Nepal could be another way we can go and, and start an operation, right? So I think if we can really, uh, Think hard and try to do something about bringing a piece of what we do internationally to Nepal. Could right. be fully. Of could course. Be, doesn't matter, right? If we start really start doing that, one, you get it's not just a helping country, right? You get you get your cultural, like you know, for when 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 we had a need to start um, overseas operation, I immediately thought about Nepal. I met probably 30 people along the way. Every one of them said, don't do it. Don't do it. You yeah. But what made me strong was if anywhere in the world, I want to do it in Nepal. For a couple of reasons. One, I know exactly how Nepali people work. Right, right. Literally what the risks are, right? That I know how to mitigate those risks, right? And I have my family in Nepal. I can call them. So every, I'm sure every one of Nepali diaspora people have that connection back in them. Instead of going to India or Middle East, anywhere in the world, I would go to Nepal, right? Really start. So, so that 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 is that is my suggestion and recommendation to people. No, of course, and and I think you know people like you are also setting an example, right? Um, in terms of that, Nepal is uh, you know risk by bunny. We can mitigate it. We know the nuances, Vanera. And I think uh, uh, you know Tichi and Dimanse, that's also what we want to uh, highlight, right? I think. Uh, Nepali diaspora, I'd say, like you said, I think it's um, a more educated, powerful, like in powerful places, whether, you know, you have your own company or you, or, you know, you are high up in that corporate uh, ladder that I think uh, our work so far was so fragmented. We didn't know what somebody else was doing. And there's so many common threads, right, I think, across what people are doing. So Hamra Opsa is is to actually, you know, showcase that. And I think, uh, there are uh, you know positive outcomes um hopefully to come out of that absolutely absolutely I mean, again people learn by seeing right um and it's it's one thing to say it's one thing to do it right the uh, other people doing it they learn fast so 
I think with the power of media and sharing with everybody else, you know, I think uh, let's let's continue to inspire a lot more diaspora people to do our economy, right? So perfect, perfect, Pranadi. And on that note, uh, you know, uh, my last question, Lama questions, my last one. Um, there's a lot of uh, you know younger people, you know, students, early career professionals that want uh, that might look at you and say, "Oh my God, I want to be like." Purnaji, right? Uh, what is like? What are one or two, uh, uh, you know, pieces of advice um, that you can give to these people? Yeah. So, um, you know, dream big, right? You know, you got to dream, but don't try to copy others because everybody has their own journey, right? Try to understand what is that you really want to do in life, right? It doesn't need to be engineering, doesn't need to be construction, doesn't need to be IT, whatever that is, right? And and figure, you know, be curious about the journey, what, what potentials, how to get there, and try to find mentors and people that have already walked that journey and try to learn from them, right? Right. So what excites you? Is it is it law excites you? Is it medicine excites you? Is it engineering excites you? You know, coding excites you, what whatever that is, right? Or art, or or, or 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 whatever, right? Or blogging, right? Anything that people can do, right? And, and then, um, um, and, and stay really hungry, right? Stay hungry, and and you know, hard work. Um, you know, things don't happen overnight, right? I mean, you may see someone like, oh, someone became billionaire overnight. It's not overnight, it's not. It's, <laughs> it never is. I mean, for me, I mean, I look at my journey as almost almost forty years of investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, to 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 get to where we are today, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself su- extremely successful, but it's not overnight. Let's put it that way. Not nobody has overnight. So just put time. You got to put the time. You got you got to you know be able to uh, learn to be uh, you know learn to wait. You know because things happen at the right time, right? Exactly. And honest and integrity, really honest and integrity in our basic human skills. Try to perfect those, right? That that's your brand. You know, if people aren't okay, when people think about you, how do you want to be thought about, right? right. Is that person is dependable, trustworthy? I can count on that person. Exactly. Well, all these basic human skills, you don't have to be rocket scientists for that. So as long as you do it, you know, again, success is not just a financial mm-hmm. success, right? There's all kinds of successes, right? I, I was reading a, an article about like seven different successes or something like that. So don't just say, if I make a lot of money, I'm going to be successful. Well, that's not the only way, right? So, oh, Thank you. I think this, this is uh, very uh, useful and helpful, Purnaji. Um, Abate will sort of do this uh, new section we've introduced for, for uh, you know, this third season of our podcast. It's called Rapid Fire. I think we have seven or so questions. Uh, very easy ones um, that are just don't overthink it. Just answer, you know, whatever comes to your mind. Sure. Uh, ready? Uh-huh. Um, dream destination. Dream destination. All right. Oh, no overthink, right? Um, Favorite vacation spot. Okay. I, I was thinking about uh, Greece Santorini, actually. So. Oh, awesome. Um, mountains or ocean? I would say ocean. Makes sense. Uh, favorite Nepali food? I'm sure Momo comes top. <laughs> yeah. 
तर इज देयर वन नेपाली फूड यू कैन कुक I mean, I cook a lot of stuff, so uh, I can cook chicken charla pretty good. Awesome! So next time, Purnazi, you have to invite us and you know cook the chicken charla for us. Um, next one, say, are you an early bird or uh, do you stay? Uh, are you a night owl? Do you uh, wake up early or late? Um, I'm definitely early bird, but I don't go to bed early. There's so... <laughs> a and and I think that's um that that's the entrepreneur uh, life of an entrepreneur, right? Very much, twenty-four hours, right? Of course, of course. Um, how's it go? Leadership style in one word. Um, collaborative. That's a very good one. Um, a book you uh, just read or are reading now? So I'm reading this book called Four Discipline of Excellence." For this excellence, and uh, it's um, it's not, it, it seems very interesting and uh, maybe uh, game changing for what we do. So, call forty uh, x. Awesome. Um, I'm going to put that as a recommendation. We have a big list of uh, book recommendations for TGND, so I'll definitely put that. And with that, I think we've come to the end of our podcast recording. Uh, Purnadi, thank you so much. I think we're so grateful for your time. As well as I think your leadership in general, and I think we'll see a lot more of you in terms of Hazrati Gornokuzay Kudaru, in terms of whether it's uh, in North America or in Nepal. Um, so you know, wish you all the best, and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And th- um, you know, to our uh, subscribers, please like and share, and we'll get back to you really soon. Thank you. Bye bye.